The host of this show, Max Naist, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome to Fearless Happiness. 19.7 million American adults have battled a substance use disorder. 38% of adults have battled an illicit drug use disorder. But no matter what the struggle, no matter the challenge, you can overcome anything and become successful. Max and his guests share experience, strength, hope, and faith. If it's PTSD or military-related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness, and this is Max Naist. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are in this world. This is Max from the Fearless Happiness Podcast. And today I have a very special guest. I have a retired major from the Air Force and author, uh, Bob Taylor. Uh, So what I like to do, Bob, is have you introduce yourself exactly like who you are and what it is you do. And then we're going to just have a great conversation. So take it away, Bob. Yeah, sure. First, Max, thanks for... uh the invitation and uh, having me on your show. I'm really looking forward to spend some time talking with you. Uh, just to give you a background, I'm a, I'm a Midwestern guy, uh, born and raised in Saginaw, Michigan. Uh, grew up and then uh, went to Michigan State, so I'm a diehard Michigan State Spartan. Uh, my senior year of, um, of uh, studies at Michigan State, I decided uh, really kind of inspired by my uh, father, uh, I decided to go into the Air Force as a navigator. Uh, so I joined and uh, went through navigator school and selected the B-52 as my choice. And I really wanted to do that mission because I I knew that the navigator was important to that mission. And um that uh, I would be on a crew of six at the time. So I I really liked that aspect of it. And then uh, I served for six years, uh, actually went to uh, Diego Garcia as part of Desert Storm, uh, deployed there. Uh, We flew 11 combat missions. Uh, The first one was at low altitude, a couple hundred feet above the ground and uh, uh, experienced something that we trained for years and years to do. But, then after after that, I decided to uh, leave the Air Force, uh, and a friend of mine, uh, my best friend in in college, was working in a small Kalamazoo medical device company, and I went there and uh, went into the medical device industry as an engineer, and developed a whole career around that. Uh, went back into the Air Force as a reservist. KC-135s as a navigator, and then uh, finished my Air Force career at about the 17 and a half year point and uh, wrapped up as an Air Force Academy liaison. On top of all that, um, I own my own business now. I'm a father, a husband, and what my grandson calls me is Bumpa. That's probably (laughs) my favorite that's probably my favorite position in life. 
And then, um, you know, I, I try not to push my faith on others, but I'm not afraid to share it. But uh, I'm, I have a pretty strong faith journey as well. Awesome. I love and like that. you said, my, my most recent is uh, becoming an author and uh, the author of the book From Service to Success. Yeah, I love it. And um, right here, I got it with me. Um, there you go. And yeah, it says, and I love the picture. You know what I mean? The boots with the the kids on your boots. And I know what it's like to serve. So again, like I want to say thank you for your service. You know, and um, being on a B fifty two, that must have been quite an experience, Bob. I mean, but that's like a, it's almost like a team sport because there's six of you, and each of you have exactly what you have to do, right, to right. complete your mission when you're in those huge planes. Um, and this is special for me. Yeah. Speaking of a uh, sport, they actually, our positions were the, you know, the pilots and then I was on the offense team and then the tail gunner and the electronic warfare, they were on defense. Okay. So yeah. Well, I, some I of the could, <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, so I can see why cool. the navigator would be on offense because you're getting them right to where they need to go. Right. And where yeah, exactly. See, but this is special for me, Bob, because I love uh, interviewing like my fellow veterans, right? Whether you, you know, and I probably should be calling you sir, but you know, because no. we're because we're civilians now, I can call you Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and I, right, but like, um, I'm just you know. Anyway, Bob um, is totally fine. Um, but people don't understand sometimes the challenges that come with serving. You know what I mean? And and being in the military and um, but like what was let's go back a little bit, right? So you're finishing up college and then you said your dad kind of inspired you, your father, right? So like what did he sit down and talk and say, Hey son, you know, I think you should join the military or because no, back no, in eighty six, no. I remember they had just started the draft again and I had to sign up for the draft. So that yeah, this so well, what was your inspiration from dad to, uh, to so uh, actually my dad, um, when he was 39 came down with, uh, Lou Gehrig disease, ALS. And I was 12 at the time and, uh, he lived with it for a number of years and died when he was 50 and I was 21 at the time. And on that particular day, I was walking to class from my apartment on campus and just you know i kind of heard a voice from a memory when he he said and i can remember him saying it you know i always wish i would have learned how to fly and i had always had you know little magazine flying magazines and you know pictured the inside of cockpits and it was always one of my big um aspirations and so when I heard that, I was walking right past the Air Force recruiter station. So I took a, a right-hand turn and went <laughs> in. And, uh, and uh, you know, nine months later, I was in the Air Force. Nice. And, <clears throat> and then you worked your way up through the ranks, right? And it's funny because when I joined, when we were kind of having this conversation before the interview, right, is, I, you know, that Navy commercial that said it's not just a job. It's an adventure. And I'd tell my mom, like, look, I'm going to be on that. Pl I'm going to be the one flying that plane off that ship. And she just would look at me like, OK. Um, 
but that's you know i mean i had other inspiration if that's what you want to call it um but i loved it you know when i look back i wish yeah. you know we always look back and say okay i could have done better here or i could have done better there but you know it's like for me it was almost like playing sports and being a part of a team right like that camaraderie you build with all your like in my case your my shipmates or like you on your b52 right because you guys have to like us in our shop we had to know exactly where who was going to be where because we were on a ship i was on an lha where we would actually we're the ones that dropped the marines off right like back end yep. goes down and there they go out the back of the oh, ship they right? go yeah and um so when our ship was fully loaded, there was actually more Marines than there were Navy personnel because that's just, we were like transport for the Marines right. and, and, um, and SEAL team actually, when we'd get all everybody on, we'd have SEAL team five on our ship. We'd have Marine, Marine recon anyway. And, but that's, and watching how for me, I, I don't know, I'm going to ask you a question in a second. But joining the military helped me get out of a lot of trouble, if that makes sense. Because I wasn't headed like to college, not at least at that age. I was right. My head was somewhere else. And I knew if I didn't go where I would have structure, then it would get really bad. But um, but then I got there and you know, I, I loved boot camp. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I loved it, but you get through boot camp, right? But you love it when you're done because you say, Oh wow, you look back and you <laughs> go, I did it, right? I did um, it. I did it. Um, so what were some of the challenges when you actually like started boot camp and like in your military career? Um, cause the whole premise of this, uh, this, the podcast that I, I share with people from all walks of life, like their challenges and like yourself, how they got through them and then how they became successful and ended up, you know, being awesome people like you, Bob. So share with the audience some of the challenges. Well, and then were you married when you joined the military or did marriage come after you joined? Yeah, well, thanks for all the compliments. Um, you know, I I sit here and kind of wiggle in my seat when I'm in these compliments. But uh, no, I wasn't married at the time, uh, but I did have a, a love interest when, uh, when I joined. Uh, for me, um, when I first got to, it was in San Antonio, Texas. My, my flight was delayed. Uh, I didn't get in to Lackland Air Force Base and to where I was staying until like three o'clock in the morning. And so I barely found my bed. And then they woke me up at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And it was like, I might as well have been in Mars because they were <laughs> talking to me and they were using language I didn't understand and they didn't want you to use certain urinals and because you know if you ever used a urinal you had to clean it and so they just had like one that you could use and all these rules that they kept throwing at me and then the next night we we stayed up all night getting ready for a uh, an inspection on the third morning so I was behind the eight ball on sleep right away. And so I struggled in the first week. I didn't know what end was up. And uh, fortunately, I think the, the guys that knew where I was coming from, and uh, they kind of pitched in 
to help me kind of catch up on the language and get my stuff together so I could kind of catch up a little bit. So it was definitely uh, kind of helping each other get across the goal line on that. Yeah. And that's, you know, what it's all about. We, as you know, in boot camp, right, we're as, we're as strong as our weakest link, as they say, right? And that's when you're supposed to rally around the guy that's struggling and, um, or they don't make it. And, um, but I can remember and tell me if this was anything like you for boot camp, right? Like I struggled too from the, I had been up, well, cause I was celebrating, right? I'm going to the boot, I'm going to the Navy. <laughs> Uh, and uh our our uh, i remember when they woke us up you know the the first night oh my lord let me tell you bob it was like metal trash cans getting thrown down the aisle they're banging on the lids bam 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 get up and you know calling me names i haven't heard in quite a long time <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know when you're standing at attention and you're thinking why did i do like now I know what Navy yeah. stands for, right? I was thinking to myself, like, never again volunteer <laughs> yourself. And, um, but anyway, I was just like, that was my first experience. And I was like, what did I do to myself? Um, but, you know, I'm glad I stuck it out and, um, uh, learned that discipline, right? Cause I think what it did for me, and I don't know if it did for you, like learning that discipline, like you said, when you're, when I go after something, I, I stay committed and I, I see it to the end. And I think I learned that in, in the military. What about you, Bob? Yeah. So I think, you know, like boot camp and officers training school, it's a little bit different. The, I think the goal of boot camp is just all focused on discipline, right? Uh, you need to learn how to do, how to follow orders. And for us in officer's training school, it was more like, we need to see how you act under pressure. And so it was all about giving us more than what we could handle and seeing how we would make decisions and see how we would come through it and really see if we would rely on our, uh, you know, the people around us. Because if you try to go solo, you're going to fail. And so what I think I learned in the Air Force is that if I applied myself, all, if I went all in and applied myself, I could accomplish just about anything I wanted to. And, uh, you know, after I struggled through officer's training school, I, you know, I put my head down and I graduated distinguished graduate out of uh, navigator training. And so that was kind of, proving to myself I could overcome some adversity and have a positive outcome. And so that just plays, I think that plays out for everyone in life. You know, life is not a straight line. It's all about, hey, how can you handle adversity and what what can you create in a positive way? And I couldn't agree more, right? I call them challenges, right? So what I like to try, like, like say clients that I work with, like right? say, okay, what's the challenge, right? So say it's a wall, right? There's ways you can get around it, right? You either go all the way around it or you get a ladder and go over it or figure something out, right? I, I cause I hate to say problems or, you know what I mean? Or struggles. Um, 
But like you said, adversity, right? We're always going to get faced with adversity, especially in life. Life does not go in one straight line from A to B. It always, right, zigzags or things pop up in our lives right. that that happen. And it's how we meet those challenges, right? And and that's why I have like gentlemen like yourself on my show to show uh, people different, you know, aspects of, of life, of people and how they overcame their challenges. So, because we know that, not only is boot camp tough, but officer training school is tough, right? So I was going to ask you when you were mentioning that, is it anything like officer and a gentleman where they just keep throwing things at you and maybe not like <laughs> Richard Gear, but like throwing that stuff at you to see how you handle things and right? Because as an officer, you're leading, you know what I mean? They, uh, they threw us into, uh, they called them leadership reaction courses where it was like, um, you know, almost like a special ops situation where it was live and you were confronted, you were, you would be the leader of one particular event and you'd have your eight to 10 uh, teammates with you. And you just had to figure out how to solve it. And I remember the one that I had, um, I was at a window and then the rest of the team was in another room. And I could see how to get the team from one spot to another, but I couldn't communicate to them. So I had to delegate to one of the people in the other room. And I felt like a leadership failure, you know, and I just, I felt terrible. And that was the objective of the exercises. Are you willing to give up your leadership position if that's what the team needs? And so Fortunately, I made the right decision in that moment, but uh, it didn't feel good when I made it. Right. Well, especially in a situation like that, if you're the leader or the one in charge, right? Um, I think that is hard if you think about it, right? Like I have to give up this control, right? Because, but it is they just gave me this job to get my my team right. safely from A to B, and now I got to give up control. Um. But I, th I think you said it perfectly, right? Sometimes that's, are you willing to delegate to get the job done, right? Because I don't know in your career, and I'm sure you have, but I know in my career, um, even in what I do now, right? When, when someone has a hard time relinquishing control, right? And I'm going to use like our faith for some reason, you know, for, for an example. Like when I have a hard time going, okay, God, you're in control. I'm not. I'm going to let you drive the car, right? But there's part of me, you know, I could be driving. Everything is smooth, as you know, right? I'm cool. But as soon as I hit, you know, then I want to go, here, scoot over. I got this, right? <laughs> and uh, but, those, but don't you think that's when we learn the, our, our greatest lessons, right? Even when we do try to take back control where we get that lesson like, you're on the right track. Just stick to your guns and let this person do it, right? Because we shared a little bit. It's like we're only as strong as our weakest link, right? And in a team situation like that, I know you're the leader, but like, I, I know that makes me sweat. You know, like I'm going to use for instance, you know, I, when I let the wife like run the show, right? Because then it gets like okay. <laughs> But actually, my wife is amazing. I'm not, I'm just kidding. But um, you get what I'm saying, right? Is like 
when you're in a serious situation where there, you know, people are watching, right? Or something, if you're not really prepared to go through that challenge, right? And we said, you kind of said it earlier. If I don't, um, if I try to do it alone, I know for me, nine times out of 10, it's not good, right? Because I think I know it all, right? Where that's where I get my greatest lesson, where I get smacked upside the head and said, Max, right? It's okay to say, I don't know this. I need help, right? And right. And, and being and in the position. Max, you- I, I, think, I think it's all based on trust, right? Yes, so when just- you look at, when you look at a B-52, you know, the pilots, they're in charge of the aircraft, right? They, if they fail at their job, we're all dead. Right. And unfortunately, you know, that's happened where the pilots haven't uh, been successful and the whole crew pays for it. But they're also relying on, um, at low altitude, the radar navigator who sat to the left of me and the navigator to we were telling them where the terrain was, uh, whether or not they needed to climb, whether or not they needed to move to the left or to the right. right. And um, so all of our lives were in the other one's hands. And that doesn't come, you're not, you don't feel like that on the first mission. <laughs> you know, you have, to, you have to fly a few missions together before you kind of build that trust. And then, at the end of the day, the only way that mission succeeds is if every part of that crew does their job. And at the same time, every person on that crew trusts the other person to do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So it, 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 it really, and when you talk about your faith, you know, how much do you trust God to follow through on, on, you know, his plan for you. And uh, it's a, you know, sometimes we have to have a little bit more trust than maybe what we're comfortable with. Absolutely. And and I was getting to that and you said it perfectly because that is so true. And, you know, some days are better than others, but most, for me, mostly 99.9% of the time, yes, I trust him. Absolutely kept me sober for 19 years right so uh, that's one of those things where i totally gave up control and said okay i'll do the work you handle the results and so far so good right but it's like you said that's like being a part of a team right where every individual has a job and you have to trust that that person next to you is going to do their job to the best of their ability and vice versa right um because you think about it, like I, I'm picturing in my head, right? That's a huge plane you were on. The B-52 is not a small, right? And, you know, I'm picturing in the cockpit. Yeah, the pilots and the co-pilot, right? They, they're in charge, right? But they can't see the things you that you see that you're trained to see, right? And then you got, like you said, the defense guy, the tail gunner, right? Who needs to be on point to see if anything's coming up the rear to try to get you guys off course. You know, let's just say that, but... Um, I like what you and said. Or for officer, yep. You know, and um, and, and that's why I think um, for me, military life is is a great. Whether you stay in for twenty years or not, it's a great start to life, right? To tackling the the issues that happen in it, because we know the world is not a perfect place. 
things happen no matter what uh, and it's how you handle it um so i want you to go into a little bit right so you're talking about officer training school um i'm assuming now you're getting you're married right so what were some of the challenges in your personal life being an officer and you know being on duty or going on tour of du uh, duties and and not seeing your family for a while yeah that was um so I got married on uh, the 4th of July weekend while I was at navigator school and they almost didn't let me have the weekend off to get married <laughs> because so it, we made it through and I show, you know, I brought my wife back on a Sunday and on Monday I'm working 14 hour days in, in navigator training. So I just basically, picked her up from Saginaw, Michigan, plopped her down in Sacramento, California, and went on my way and kind of left her to figure it out. Uh, we, you know, she did a, a wonderful job of handling some of our moves. I remember we moved when we moved from Sacramento, she had to do the whole thing because I was up in survival training up in uh, Fairchild Air Force Base. And then, you know, we had our daughter about a year later. And, um, you know, those are, um, it was a, a good life. But, you know, there were some challenges uh, when we were on alert with the B-52s. We'd go into this compound for a week at a time. And there was no kind of getting off and going out. So my wife would call the commander and say, I need my husband to come home for this or that. And he's like, well, he'll be home next Wednesday. <laughs> and, uh, or it was always when I was on alert or on a deployment that the water heater would go or the furnace would go or a mole would run around in the house, whatever it was, it was always when I was gone. Always, always happened. Right. And then, <laughs> yeah. And it and well, luckily for me, I I got married after I got out. I mean, I was engaged when, but I was on the naval station, so it wasn't a big deal. But um, I know what you mean, right? Because there was times like we go do uh, exercises, right, where it was almost like the whole Westpac or the you know the Paci West Pacific Fleet would go out and do their trainings out past San Clemente Island. And I remember like, so this is what it's like to be on a ship. You can't do nothing. You can't go out and even have a cigarette because they'll get mad at you, right? Because of the how much the light will show down. Um, and so for me, I, that wasn't an issue. It was just always me like always going, well, well, I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> but I'd always have that inner conversation with myself like, well, look, you signed up for this, Max. So you better get used to right. it quick. Um, um so like see and this is why i always tell people like not only like yourself sir you know like thank you for your service but if i saw your wife i would say thank you for your service too because absolutely it's definitely a team effort you know what i mean absolutely absolutely and you, and you know because you've been through it um like her make doing the moves and stuff like yeah I mean, this is like my wife would have made a great military wife, you know, because like when we I'll tell her how she I'll tell you a quick story, like how she, how like military minded she is. Right. She prepares. Right. She's got a game plan. She's got her battle plan. Um, I work two hours away. So she goes, it'll be done by the time you get home. Right. When we bought this house. And I'm like, 
what are you talking about? So um, I helped her bring some boxes, right? And we laid it all out like a puzzle. I'm like, okay, I see where this is going. When I got home, Bob, from work, everything was done. Pictures were exactly where she said they were going to go. Wow. And I was just like, and I even told her back then, I said, you would have made a great military wife. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, you know, like, it's definitely a family affair when there's family involved with the military, whether the wife or the husband's in the military, right? Because like, you know, the demands of military life, right? They could pull you anytime and say, I need you, Bob. Well, you know, come to, to where you got to go. And then they don't say nothing to the family, right? Because they can't, right? How did your wife yeah, and you handle those situations when it was like, you know, like she said, you calling your base commander and he's just going, he'll be home next Wednesday. Like, how did you guys work through that stuff? So I'll, I'll give you an exact example of that. When we, it's the first chapter in the book where, or the introduction where I talk about um, we're going to Cleveland. Uh, it was, I think, January 4th of 91. And um, we weren't allowed to even tell our spouses where we were going. And so we were on the tarmac. My daughter was two, two and a half years old. And I was getting on a KC-135 flying to the other side of the world. And all I could tell them is we're going to a place called Cleveland. And I mean, everyone knew that we were getting ready to go to, to war. And, um, you know, I just... I, I felt very responsible for not telling my wife because there were news reporters trying to talk to spouses to see if they could get information on where we we're going. Right. So if I didn't tell her, she wouldn't have to worry about what she said or what she didn't say. And so off we went and we really never talked about where we were uh, uh, for the time that we were deployed. That's when you're talking about desert storm and stuff like that, correct? Right. Yeah, we were we were on an island called Diego Garcia, and the only way we could talk was uh, every two weeks we would get allotted, I don't know, two minutes. This is before you know cell phones and uh, all right. this other all this other you know emails. There wasn't any of that, so we would get on these satellite phones, and the counter would count back. And you just see this thing counting backwards until your time was up. Oh, wow. And it seemed, it just seemed like it wasn't hardly anything. But um, I remember my daughter, uh, you know, I, she was almost three years old when I got back. Um, <laughs> she said, All I know is you left me for a really long time. I was like, Oh, that, that's just crushing. Yeah. That just, <laughs> That just broke my heart. What do they say? Out of the mouth of babes comes the truth, right? Yeah. And and they don't and think it doesn't affect them, but it does. See, and that's why as leaders or, you know, like you and I, right, head of households or, what you know, fathers or leaders, right? We have to be um, on the top of our game, right? Because we, they always say you never know who's watching, but in our case, we know who's watching, right? It's yeah. children. Yeah, uh, my they're exactly right. Um, 
and as it, that brought me back to um an old commercial like when i don't know if it was cigarettes or drugs or drinking you know but it was an old commercial where the dad catches the kid right he he's shaking the kid like where did you learn this and he goes i learned it from you dad like i watched <laughs> you and it's true oh, it was wow. one of those yeah, yeah it was one of those commercials where you just went oh right and and one of my mentors always taught me that as i continue this journey in in recovery it's like you got to be the same guy behind you know when no one's looking as if, if someone's looking because the least the people that you think are not watching are watching you like a hawk and um next month we're gonna have for me grandbaby number 10 so i got you know all these eyes watching me you know and i want to be the best grandpa i can be in the best dad and um you know, and I like on the on the back, I was reading the back of your book. It says, as veterans, we need to find forgiveness for ourselves. Isn't that the truth? You know, uh, like I shared with you before we started the interview as a friend of mine, he struggled with that part a lot. And um, uh, I like how you said we must find new purpose, learn new tools and skills and press forward so we don't spend the rest of our lives in the darkness. Man, when I when I first got that, and I always like to read the back, I just I read that over and over. But this applies to everybody, but especially vets, you know, that I've known or I know who struggle with depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, that you talk about. Um, right. I always that's one of the first things I do when I worked with guys, especially in the military or like first responders, right. Is forgive yourself. Right. You did the best you could, like you can't control everything, you know, uh, whatever the case may be. And uh, especially my veteran brothers and sisters, it's just like, you know, you, you got, you were given a job, you did it. So you can't beat yourself up for it. You're just following orders, right. And doing the best you yeah, can. That's the problem. Veterans, almost find a way to assign blame to themselves. You know, I was supposed to be on that mission. I was supposed, you know, that could, that should have been me. I should have been there to protect, um, you know, so-and-so, or, you know, I did a lot of that to myself with, uh, you know, just when, whenever you're not the best version of yourself and you hold yourself to a high standard, I'm very tough on myself. And um, so the the key is that if if we can't forgive ourselves, we don't have any place to start, really. Right. We, we're just going to, uh, I think people, they call it um, rumination, where you yeah. just kind of think these negative thoughts over oh. and over. It's like yeah. the the hamster on the hamster trail, just um, driving themselves deeper, deeper. And so you got to start with self-forgiveness and um, and just create an opening for, for something new. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I try to share with guys I work with, or whether they be, even if they're not, you know, is learn to forgive yourself, right? And always, this is what I, because this is what was told to me after my last relapsed before I finally got serious, right? Because I was down in the dumps. I was depressed. And, and my sponsor said, Max, forgive yourself because God already has. Like, and if he can, why can't you, you know? And that, right. 
for some reason it stuck with me that day when he said that like because you're right we're our we can be our own worst enemies right and if we're stuck in that hamster wheel and that it's hard to break free that sometimes so um i'm i'm looking forward to reading the rest of the book and and um because this is you know and i'm glad you became you you were willing to become a guest today because i wanted people to hear um from yourself right because you're a major in the air force that it affects everybody in the military when they go through any type of trauma whether it's wartime or you know what i mean um and yeah, to understand we bring our own luggage we bring our luggage from all, our whole lives into the military with us and right. um so you know while boot camp or officers training school or whatever it is they try and rewire you Right. They they do a lot of behavioral rewiring, but they can't get rid of that luggage that we bring in. No. And, you know, I have had other military um, in, uh, people, veterans that I've interviewed and, you know, like yourself who retired, like. And and I remember one of them saying, you know, after 26 years on the, in the teams, I just I was lost, like without my brothers and sisters in the military. Like right. It was a it was a whole new life. Right. So not only has he been through a bunch of deployments, but now he's a civilian going, what do I do? Well, remember when we talked about the trust? Yes. Um, so many, so many positions in the military. Um, you have to trust the person that you're with, whether it's, you know, in your platoon, uh, whether you're a Navy SEAL, whether you're a pararescue or B-52 crew. You have to trust each other to the highest level, life or death, right? And like I said, I held myself to the highest standard because if I was going to be on someone's crew, I wanted to be the best navigator so that they were like, yeah, we've got Bob. He's going to, you know, he's a guy that we can go to go to war with. And um so that's how you live your life in the military is this super high intensity of trust, yeah. super high performance, right? You're, you're performing at, um, you know, you're trained to, to, to be at the highest level of performance that you can be. And that's a, that's a potent mixture, right? Mm -hmm. And you achieve a lot of great things in the military based on that. But then when you go to the civilian world, where is that? Where's the high trust level? Where's the super important life or death responsibilities? Right. You know, there isn't any of that. And um, now what I try and tell people is um, find a cause that's greater than yourself. And your best days, regardless of what you feel, your best days were not when you were in the military there are better days to come and you have a a very capable future because of all the tools and the discipline and the learning and all that stuff that you had in the military that's going to come to your aid when you're in the civilian world and there are things that can be very important in your life there are ways of getting through that that struggle half the veterans that leave struggle yeah and on a daily basis, 5,500 veterans are thinking about suicide. Wow. 
1,500 veterans are planning their own suicide on a daily basis. 640 veterans are attempting suicide every day. And then 22 of them, unfortunately, die from suicide. So while it's bad enough to be one of you know the 22, those are 22 sons, daughters, husband, wives, fathers, mothers. I mean, it's it's personal, but there's this whole funnel that goes up above them. And that's really what I aim the book at is let's try and help as many people before they get too deep into the trenches, yeah. you know, and give them the tools that they can start to use to stay out of really significant trouble. Absolutely. I heard that 22 has gone up. I'm not sure, but I, I was watching. Someone said it's gone up. Yeah, and it it was I, from I a saw something that went up. It went up by forty percent during the um, the COVID years, yeah. mm -hmm. and so there there's numbers out there that kind of go back and forth over the ten year period, um, starting in two thousand nine to twenty nineteen. More veterans died from suicide than the entire Vietnam War. Yeah, I heard that. I've heard that statistic. And, and since the beginning of um, you know, since 2001, more people have far more people. I think it's four times the number of people have died from suicide than died in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. Yeah, and there's something wrong so, with that, right? You know, that we got to take a look at. Um, I mean, we know one's is, enough. It's, it's, it's preventable. One's too much. It's preventable. Right. Absolutely. One's too much in my book, right? It is. Uh, and I'm... So I'm like you, I'm just going to, I'm putting one foot in front of the other and, and, and like trying to come up with solutions to where we can bring that number down because it's just right. It, and it's sad when you see that they could get help, but it takes forever to get the help. Right. As a, a you know, as yeah. it, it takes, it takes a while to get through all the, you know, the, um, what is DAV, um, Disabled, disabled American, American veterans. Vets. Yeah, I'm a part of that. One. And so I, you know, I went through through them. They helped me um, get into uh, the VA at Battle Creek, and uh, I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate to get in there and and uh, got some help. And um, the, you know, I wrote this book after going through my struggles and and coming out. Um, pretty good on the other side. I think I've, I've made a lot of progress. I'm a better person. I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. And that's, that's really, you know, one of the things that I wanted. Uh, but what I'm trying to do with the book is I, it's not just that I want people, I'm not just promoting a book for people to buy. Right. Um, I want, I want people to go to this uh, patriotpromise.org if they buy a book, donate it, or they can give it to their favorite veterans or read it themselves, and we'll automatically donate one to a veteran just by buying a book. There, I've got a program that if they um, buy one and donate five, I'll sign their book, and we'll donate five. And then if they do an, the next program up, I'll sign the book. I'll give them one of those coins that I gave you. I know. And 
uh, the the military patch, and uh, we'll donate ten. And the the whole thing is if we can get these into a large number of veterans' hands, maybe they don't read it by themselves. Maybe they read it with a friend, or maybe they read it with a spouse, and then. It's also for the family members so that they can kind of better understand what their um, spouse, father, uh, uncle, cousin, what they're going through so that they can, you know, better help them when when they need it. And so that's what I'm kind of driven. That's my my purpose right now is to try and get these uh, the VA in um, Battle Creek. Uh, I asked them how many they wanted, and she asked me for 500. And I said, well, how about if we start at 100? <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm really excited about that because they're going to use them for uh, group therapy. You know, so they're going to give them to veterans to read uh, at the PCT clinic, which is uh, PTSD, uh, the clinical uh, program for them. Awesome. So like when I told you I, I'm going to meet with my, uh, because his mother asked me to keep it going. When I meet with his board of directors, I'm definitely going to bring your book up and see what we can do about helping get your book out through their um, nonprofit and, and you know, and get it out, like you said, because it's a family affair. You know, if you can, it's just like addiction almost. It kind of parallels, right? If we can fix the, not only the, the, the military uh individual but the family so they can understand how to better support him or her right the chances of success go better right and we don't have to right keep watching those well, statistics go up one of the common uh complaints from veterans is nobody understands me you know no one understands what i'm going through well well let's let's help the people around you understand better what's going on. And then the other thing is veterans, they isolate themselves. You know, it's that bravado. And I'm sure you felt it when you got out is, Hey, I got it. You know, I'm, I'm a man. I got this. Yeah. I can handle I got this. this. <laughs> and, but the thing is, is what made us successful in the military is the camaraderie, right? Exactly. It's the relying on, on your, the the people that you served with right. well we can't go it alone when we get out we have to we have to recognize that dude you're not or you know guy or gal you're not alone there right. are 11 million veterans who are struggling right now there's 22 million something estimated veterans in right. the u.s that means there's 11 million that who are struggling that's that's not someone on their own Everyone has a different experience, but there's some very similar or there's um, some commonalities that people share, and we just need to work together. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, um, and I'm glad you, you shared that because that will lead us into this, um, and there's a couple of questions I'd like to ask my guests, Bob. Um, okay. So being a major in the Air Force, I want to hear your answer to this giving you a hard time but what does fearless <laughs> mean to you and how does that show up in your life today okay so when i look back at my military service you know life was not fearless right 
if if you were in combat and you didn't feel fear, then something was probably wrong with you. You know, <laughs> right? But what fearless means to me is confidence. Right? It's confidence from preparation, from understanding, from trusting. So what we turn over to either other people or based on our faith, what we turn over to God, um, that's how we gain fearlessness is through preparation and trust. God, I like that. I love that, actually. So my second question to you is, as you can see, that is not a typo. I did that on purpose. But what does happiness mean to you knowing that I put a why in, in happiness? Ooh. I didn't think about the why in happiness, but I'll tell you my thoughts on happiness are it's a pursuit. Okay. Happiness isn't like a destination. It's a pursuit. And it's the pursuit of what we were designed to be. Okay. We were, we were des designed to reach our full potential. And so happiness comes along in life in different ways to different people. But I experience happiness when I'm pursuing a cause that is greater than myself. When, um, for example, I sold a business back 20 years ago and I made some money, uh, but that didn't really bring me happiness. So when I started Alliant Healthcare Products, this company, I'm trying to create success for other people. And that when I see success in other people, that brings me happiness. Um, happiness, I find happiness when I'm creating things, when I'm creating a new business, when I'm creating a, um, a new opportunity for, for someone else. Um, Whatever I'm creating, uh, that's when I experience happiness. So it's it it's someplace I never arrive at, but I try and look for it when I'm on this journey. Right. Well, and in that pursuit, don't you think that's when you find joy, right? When you see that you're sure. helping people become successful. And like you said, when you're doing something that's greater than you, that not only brings happiness, but it brings joy, which is a lot, lot less, lot longer lasting than happiness. Because sometimes we know happiness could be fleeting, right? Like, oh, I'm happy exactly. when I saw the TV stub my toe, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my god! But right, you said it like perfectly, like watching, building, helping people become better, or doing something for someone else. Isn't that what this life's all about? I believe it is. Right, is helping people find their purpose. You know what I mean? So. I tend to see I tend to see people for their potential. And what's funny is a lot of people don't see their own potential. That's true. One of the hardest things is convincing someone that they have this potential. But um that's one of my biggest quests in life is to help people understand what their potential is and then help them reach it. That's awesome. Thank you, Bob. So I want to ask you, um, if people want to work with you or your organization, or where can they find your book, Bob? Let them know that. 
Okay, so right now Amazon has it on ebook only. Okay. And um the book's full launch will start in bookstores will start um next May over mem Memorial Day. Uh but right now um they can people can find the book at patriotpromise.org which is right here. Yeah. Uh I ask people go there. Like I said, there's three ways to buy and donate a book or like your organization. Uh, and we're going to be reaching out to corporations to see if they'll donate money. All that money that gets donated will go directly towards um, getting books in the hands of veterans. And I, I'm making a commitment that I will not personally financially benefit from any of the donations that come in. Uh, that's all going to go at, um, you know, the steepest discount possible for the book uh, to get as many of them out there into the hands of veterans. That's awesome. That is amazing, Bob. Um, so before we go, then one final thing I'd like to ask of my guests, right, is what one piece of advice could you give my audience that will help them grow as a human being or become a better human being? To become a better human being, uh, I I think it's developing a mindset of gratitude. Okay, one of the areas when people are struggling, they start to look at the world for what it what it is not, or where they're having struggles, or what's not going well, and it. It's up to nobody else except for ourselves to kind of change that mindset. And one of the ways to change that mindset is to actually keep a list every day of what you're grateful for. And maybe in the first couple of days, it's a little bit of a struggle to come up with 10 things that you're grateful for. And some people just write the same things, you know, for right. a few days. But if you start to look at the world, for what you're grateful for, it has a way of changing your life for the better. It opens your mind to the positive things that can happen in your life. And all of a sudden, you start to attract positive things into your life. Absolutely. And uh, that's some of the, that, in my opinion, that's one of the first things anyone that's struggling with depression, with, with transitioning into civil uh, civilian life, uh, whatever they're doing, one of the first things is to start a gratitude uh, list because that's the only way you start to open up to allowing people to help you. Yep. That is funny that you say that, Bob. That is the first assignment I give any client I work with. Before we work on your goals or any of this, this is what you're going to start doing for me. And they're like, what's this? And then, I, but mine's, you're right though. Cause if you're, if you're in a state of gratitude, it, you can't be sad. You can't be angry. You can't be frustrated. Um, and even neuroscience proves that the more you put positive things in your brain, you actually build new neural pathways in your brain. And you start looking at people and at yourself and at the world differently. So thank you for sharing that. Did you hear ever that? I'm not the only one that says start a gratitude list. You heard it now <laughs> from my friend, Bob, Major Bob Taylor, that gratitude list is the way to go. So thank you, Bob, for, for sharing that with us and my audience. Um, 
So anybody, if you if you got something out of that, if if, if Bob made you think, he made you smile, uh, whatever, please leave a review. And then until next time, I'll see you all later. Max, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. You've been listening to Fearless Happiness. The numbers on addiction are absolutely stunning. Max lived in addiction for years and during that time made some terrible choices, losing his family, friends, and career. But he turned his life around and now Max works as a substance abuse counselor helping people in their recovery. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we hope you had fun along the way. We know we did. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hit the website at maxnaste.com. Till next time, keep the fight, and we'll see you soon.